Welcome everyone to a Monday night edition of Cardboard Culture. This is episode number 45. We want to thank our previous guest Thomas McKeels for joining us last week and sharing his love for the freak Tim Lincecum. We got to hear and see what he has amassed in terms of rare super short print and one-of-one -one cards of Tim Lincecum. Uh, we do hope that um, Thomas gets to add those ones that he is missing uh, and those uh, you know, to add to his PC, and um, we will carry on with uh, our show tonight. Uh, we're just waiting for our special guest to arrive, um, so just hang tight for a second, um, and uh, <clears throat> we hope to have him on. So, uh, who do we got here? Hello, Dennis. How are you? Uh, while we're waiting for our special guest tonight, um, Dennis, did you catch any of the football? I don't know if you watch football. How about those games yesterday? Um, three of them decided in the last second by field goals. And did anybody catch that KC Buffalo game? That was just pretty wild. Um, just saying, although I don't know about you guys, I don't really like the, uh, the format of the, uh, overtime in the NFL. Uh, I don't know what you guys think about that. I think that every team has, a, should have a chance to drive down the field, at least try to get some points versus just the first team who wins the coin toss and they drive down the, if they get a touchdown, then the game's over. So. That was kind of strange. Oh, here we go. Amit, over to you. Okay, I'm back. Um, Kent, where did you leave off? Because I had to place a call. I said over to you. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. So tonight we have a bucket list moment. Um, this is a – it's an honor to have uh, this gentleman on the show tonight. I've listened to his voice since I was a wee little kid. I remember reading uh, the Peter Puck books, and uh, I'm truly happy to to bring him on. And we're going to talk about you know his his uh, his life, his story, and of course his latest book. And we'll get into it. So let's bring on uh, the legendary Brian McFarland. Glad to be with you guys. I'm, Hello. I'm I was a little distracted and uh, lost track of time, but here we are, and I'm glad to be here, and I'm glad we hooked up. Yes, for sure, for sure, and. Uh, and not a problem. We all get distracted. Even I get distracted while I'm on live shows sometimes. Anyways, um, wanted to really, first of all, thank you so much for, for taking the time. I know it, your life is busy and you've got lots of things to do. So I want to give you thanks for at least coming on our show. And I hope you enjoy it. So we're going to get into some questions and yes. uh, we'll take it from there. Sounds good? Okay. Let's go. Yes. All righty. <laughs> so before we get into your current events and your books and whatnot, Want to kind of get a get a flavor for who you were as a as a child. So, can you explain to us as a as an audience, like, what were you like as a child? What was, what was Brian like? Like, what was he before he became a famous broadcaster? Oh dear, was a child. That's going back uh, almost ninety years. Anyway, I grew up uh, in north. I was born in northern Ontario in Halebury. My dad was an author and a writer. He uh, he penned the first uh, twenty one Hardy Boys books. You may be surprised to learn. Wow. Because they sold in the millions, but he only got a hundred dollars a book flat fee, and uh, so we never owned a house or a car. We always rented. Then, uh, when I was about four years old, we moved to Whitby, Ontario, where I first discovered hockey, backyard pond hockey, that sort of thing, and uh, I just was fascinated. I'd be out there at all hours, a kind of a um, the lure of the ice. And even if I had to play alone or with my sisters, I would do that. And uh, 
I, uh, I just love finding a whole group of other guys, older guys playing a couple of blocks away and on a much larger ice surface on the park. So I would gravitate there at every opportunity, thinking someday I'll be another syllapse or whatever. And I don't want to make this a long story. So it was rather an ordinary childhood other than that, the hockey, the fascination of hockey. And it grabbed me early and it's never let go. Although my dad took me aside one day and said, if you don't give up this hockey, you'll never amount to anything. And it, <laughs> it, it, uh, it, it got me quite a lot, actually. It got me a college education, first of all. I never thought that would happen, but I did get a hockey scholarship to St. Lawrence University when I was playing junior A, and that turned my whole life around. And uh, I sent my, my daughters there. My sister came down and joined me. I brought some friends down to form a better team, and we went to the final four two years out of four back in the 50s. That meant a, wow. trip, a trip to Colorado on an airplane. I'd never been on an airplane. <laughs> That's that's awesome. Um, so one thing I have to say, Brian, you still have the voice. So I haven't heard your voice on TV in a while. And when you started talking, actually this afternoon when we were chatting and trying to get the, the link to work, um, yes. I, you brought me right back to being a kid. I remember listening to you on, on the TV and, you know, just, just with my dad, sitting right beside my dad, listening to you. There was just a it was just a wash with emotion, so it was really, really cool to hear your voice. So I'm really happy that we had this chance. Well, that's so, nice of you to say that because I, I've been worried about my voice. I had to narrate a full book I just wrote, the one you're talking about, A Hell of a Life in Hockey, for an audio version. And I oh, said, wow. I, I'm not sure I can do that. My voice is getting kind of raspy. And it means hours of work. Uh, they didn't do it in a studio. They came right here where I'm sitting and did it on a computer. And uh, that was great. So um, I'm glad it all got done and done reasonably well. So uh, the voice is there, but it's not like it used to be. I know that. Oh, uh, no, it, it's good. It's definitely, definitely good to hear. So you you brought up, a, you gave a kind of a, a sneak peek to your life as a child. Uh, you brought up the Hardy Boys. So I have to say, when I was reading your book, there was a point where I literally paused. I had my wife reread it and go, is this read like it was his dad that wrote Hardy Boys? And she's like, yes, his dad wrote. So for everyone in the audience, Leslie McFarlane, am I saying yes. it right? Leslie McFarlane was, uh, was Brian's dad. And he penned the first 21 volumes of the Hardy Boys books, which I could not get enough of. And I even bought a set for my son. And I could not believe, like, not only am I talking to Brian, the, your dad actually wrote those books. I was like floored. I was actually floored. So talk to us a little bit about what it was like to know that your dad wrote those books. Well, I didn't know about it till I was about 10 years old. And uh, I saw them on his bookshelf in his little office where he wrote. There was no door on it. And I sat on a box or a chair. I'm not sure which. I said, where'd you get those books, the Hardy Boys? Did you read them when you were a kid? And he said, no, I wrote them. <laughs> and uh, he said, I'm not supposed to tell anybody. I'm, In fact, I was sworn to secrecy by the publisher. But he told me, and of course, he said, don't tell all your friends I'm writing that nonsense. Of course, I went and told them all right away. But just today, and one reason I was distracted, I'm going through my computer to old issues of McLean's magazine. 
Yeah. And my dad has about 25 stories scattered through those old issues, and I'm collecting them for my great-grandkids and grandkids, and maybe for McMaster University, where I donate a lot of the McFarland memorabilia, if you call it. And uh, I'm having a great fun finding some old hockey stories and adventure stories by Leslie McFarlane in there. And then the other authors I've come stumbled on, and I feel there's a treasure trove of Canadiana in there. I'd like to do a book called The Wild, Wild West of Canada because there's some gripping stories of grizzly bears and <laughs> wolverines and wolves howling outside the teepees and that sort of thing. Uh, so I'm I'm all excited to hear I am 90 years old thinking about other projects when I should be thinking about, I don't know, girls or booze or whatever. That's <laughs> <laughs> anyway. funny though is no one else knows this. I, actually, I learned this today too. You've hit a milestone. You have a hundred plus books under your belt, right? Well, I think so. I'm, I've got a hundred in my, counting the ones, 10 or 15 I've got in my computer, which I'm trying to get to publishers. Uh, it's about in the 90 somewhere and pretty close to a hundred. I, I don't control the counting of it. I, I leave family members to do that. And I, I know it's getting close. That's, that's awesome. Um, Going back to the Hardy Boys, just for a second, I just want to focus on that because uh, I'm I'm utterly tickled pink about that. Do you think your dad ever modeled any of the characters off of anyone in the family? Like, do you think you're like you could relate to any of the characters in the series? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, he was given an outline by the publisher in New Jersey, uh, the, the Tower Treasure, for example. They'd send him two pages, and there'd be a tower in it, and the kids would have to apprehend a scoundrel or yeah. chase some thieves through the woods. I don't know. Uh, I don't think he ever patterned any family members, but I do think he based it pretty much on Halebury, Ontario yeah. uh, as the, uh, as Bayport, I guess the name of the town in the book was. Uh, and some people said it's a town based on the Eastern seaboard of the U S and maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't think he cared very much. He was just happy to get the book down and get his hundred bucks so he could buy some wood for the furnace for the winter. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, and you did talk about um, sort of one quick thing I wanted to say. Is I related to Chet Morton, who is the the hobbyist in the book, and this this is a hobby channel, so it, it relates. Yes. Um, you did talk about in your book about you know when you grew up, it wasn't actually easy living for you. Your dad and your mom worked really hard for the family, so. Um, that kind of, you know, ironed out who you are as a person. You want to talk about that really quick? Well, um, you know, I envied my dad's ability to sit at a typewriter all day. No other father I knew did that and live at home and all the clatter of kids running around and making noise. And no, as I said, no, even not even a door on his office. And here I live pretty much the same kind of existence myself. I'm sitting in my office now and I think of all the office I've sat in over the years, but I got out there and I did other things. Uh, yeah. I played 20 years with the NHL old timers and I started a hockey museum in Niagara Falls um, I owned a lacrosse team once and hired John Ferguson as my coach and general manager nice. and named them the Montreal Canadiens and took all their <laughs> colors and the CH and put it on my lacrosse jerseys with their permission. Uh, and that was a one-year adventure that 
I wouldn't have had another chance if I hadn't gone to a meeting and somebody had said, who wants the Montreal Pro franchise? And I found my hand going up. I almost grabbed it and pulled it down, but I didn't. Yeah. And I suddenly owned a lacrosse franchise and I hadn't put out, had to put up any money. Not then. It cost me about five grand about a week later. Yeah. Uh, but I, I tended to take chances with my life and, Oh, we, we took our kids from coast to coast camping out. I just said, you've, while you're at the proper age, I want you to see Canada. And we yeah. went all the way to Tofino, BC, camping out each night in yeah. one summer. And the next summer, I took them all the way to Newfoundland and back. And I think a year or two later, they would have had boyfriends or got involved with others and not wanted to go. But they were the perfect age for it. Yeah. And they still remember it. And uh, that was uh, one triumph, I think, in in, in uh, my existence. <laughs> awesome. I'm going to quickly say hi to some people who showed up to the channel. So quickly, you want to sure. say hi to... Hey, Dennis, thanks for, for coming. Hello, Dennis. And we have uh, Barry Ma. Thank you for coming. Oh, Barry. And Dennis said as soon as he heard the voice, he knew it was the legend. So there you go. You got some compliments there. Hi, Dennis. Good to have you aboard. We have Jeremy. Uh, he's one of our one of our closest friends. He used to read the the Hardy Boys book. So, dear Jeremy, we have a tie in for you. And uh, we have another comment here. Fantastic conversation. All Hardy Boys and Peter Puck crossover would be cool. Celebrating two year two generations of authors. Awesome. Um, and then we have a uh, ink paper wax collector. It gives us a smiley face. So, I, I admittedly, and, and I'm kind of happy this happened. We veered off the questions we did, but it's okay. I, I don't mind this kind of uh, uh, atmosphere. So I'm going to just look at where we are at the questions. Just make sure I turn it over to Kent. I'm going to turn it over to you, buddy. Thanks. Before I, uh, before I get into my questions, I also want to show this one because I think you missed it a meet. Uh, Brian, Bobby says you have one of the best voices in hockey always. Oh, thank you. I never realized that. There are always so many that were had better, deeper voices and all the rest of it. Well, there's like you, Danny Gallivan. Uh, there's, there, there are a lot of good ones. Um, and we, we, we missed them. So I'm glad that, that we can actually record this. So, Well, one of, one of my favorites was Danny Gallivan. I liked working with him uh, because he was a hockey guy. It was in his, pa his passion and, uh, I guess you don't know that he might have been a major league ball player. He was the ball, the best ball player in, uh, in the Maritimes when he was a young lad. And he pitched and had a chance to try out with the Yankees, but he threw his arm out in training oh. camp and uh, had to give up the game. And that's what turned him, I guess, to broadcasting. Uh, but he was a delight to work with. I, uh, I really enjoyed Danny. The Hewitts were a little different. They were very reclusive, Bill and Foster. And I, I, I worked with Bill for 17 years, and I think I only had maybe two meals with him in that time. He never seemed to travel on the same plane or stay at the same hotel or congregate with us after a game for a beer. Um, but that was his style and Foster's. They were very close as father and son. Got book. Yeah. Um, uh, but Danny was, um, oh, I don't know, easier to get to know. And he told wonderful stories about past hockey experiences. So I, I really enjoyed Danny's company. 
and Don Cherry, he, he was very good to me grow, uh, when he first joined the, the hockey telecasts. And, and, and in fact, he gave me hell one day. He said, I, I know you have this log house out in the country and it's just off the 401 and I go visit my mother every weekend. But he said, I've been up to your place three times now. I've been pounding at the door and trying to get in and that you're never home. And I said, Don, my wife just had time to pull the blinds and turn the lights off and hide the car behind the shed. She <laughs> saw you coming. And uh, he didn't know whether I was kidding him or not, but of course I was. I don't want to take up all the conversation here, so I'm going to give you guys a chance to, to get away. Oh, word. no worries. No worries. Uh, we love hearing your stories. Trust us. Um, so you, you mentioned that you used to collect beehive corn syrup photos. Um, but did you also collect hockey cards as a, as a youngster? Uh, I did collect the photos um, and uh, some of the cards, but I wasn't an avid collector till I got into the museum business. Oh. And when you have a museum, as I did for 10 years, first on the 401 at the Big Apple, if you know where that is, past yeah, yeah, Port Hope, yeah. and then in Niagara Falls for nine years. And I had a good collection of photos and I thought, well, I'll open a small museum and just go there. Um, and, and it kind of snowballed into a travel museum. We were at the CNE for a lot of, for some summers and we'd take it to the fall fairs around the province and set it up for a week or a weekend. Uh, but the main museum was in Niagara Falls for many years. And I found that the collections grew whether I wanted it to or not. I, I let a guy in free once to be with his kids. I sir, get in from the parking lot. Come on, and, and you don't have to pay. I want you to be this, uh, take this tour with your children. So he did, and the next week he brought me Terry Sawchuck's goal stick from the 1960 oh, wow. Stanley Cup playoff, <laughs> wow. signed by all the Red Wings, signatures everywhere. And he's that was nice of you to let me in free last week. I want you to have this, this memorabilia. And then he came around with a couple of new tennis rackets because he was in the tennis business. And my wife and I don't even play tennis, but he insisted we take those rackets and learn the game, which we never did. But uh, that was so nice of him to do that. And people would bring in old hockey helmets and sticks I have a 1902 gold stick in my closet at the moment, right 50 feet from here, uh, used in the 1902 Stanley Cup playoffs by a, a goaltender, a 300-pound goaltender. And um, it's it's grown in value over the years, and someday I'll give it to the Hockey Hall of Fame, I guess. But uh, it was so interesting that people would uh, – just come in and offer gifts and pictures and, and um, yeah, it, it got to be a pretty good collection. And then the municipality of, um, um, oh, I've forgotten the name. Anyway, I set it up in a municipality and the mayor didn't took a dim view of it, but, but the mayor who was in the office at the time liked it and he wanted to establish it there and have it just be there forever well he got into a scrap with his wife one day and was charged and that this ruined his chances of being re-elected and as soon as the new mayor came in he closed it all down 
and they sold it all off to a group in Edmonton who promised to reopen it out there, but they haven't done it yet. I think they're waiting for me to get hit by a turnip truck so they can then sell it off somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) But that's life. That's business. So, so, so Brian, speaking of hockey cards, back in 06, 07, Upper Deck asked you to sign a bunch of hockey cards for their set. So what was it like to have a company approach you to have you autograph hockey cards? Oh, I, well, I never dreamed that would happen. I think Dick Irvin and I are the only two that had hockey cards made of announcers. I mean, who would even think of that? Um, but it, it was uh, flattering. Um, we didn't get many requests, I'm sure, but I, it's been 10 years now, I guess, since that happened. And I think I still have a couple of those cards around. Um, my signature now, I am, I'm so shaky uh, at my, in my dotage that I, uh, I'm, I'm signing with my right hand now, and I've always been left-handed. Oh, no way. I wonder if they notice at the bank that my signature has improved uh, immeasurably since two years ago when I was all over the paper. You know? <laughs> I'm much neater now, and they must wonder why that happened. That signature was really nice. Um, I'm in, in a few minutes, I'll bring it up so everyone can see. But I wanted to actually just show everyone a quick picture of you in your Hockey Night in Canada days. And you'll see a couple of other legends in here as well. So I'll just bring this up. Um, if you can see this oh, uh, oh look, at, look at those funny yeah. who are these people i know this, they, this i grew up with him too dave hodge dave well, Hodge, yeah. yeah i like working with dave he he uh i don't know whether he got a raw deal or not by flipping the pencil one night to yeah, show did, his yeah. disdain for a decision they made not to go to a game uh, it seems like such a simple thing that almost anybody might do uh, but he had to pay heavily for that and uh, was dismissed. And I always thought, well, heck, I did a lot of things that annoyed Ballard and got dismissed a couple of times. But uh, we missed Dave when he left, but it left an opening for Ron McLean, who came in as a, boy, was he a raw rookie when he joined us from Red Deer, Alberta. And uh, he had to go on with grapes right off the bat and sit there all wide-eyed and weepy-eyed at times because uh, apparently he had a tear in his eye that popped out when he was first with grapes and he had, he was turning his face away from the camera so nobody would think he was crying on camera, but that's a story that he'd, he'd be better to tell than me. Right. Here's the, here's the card in question and that's a very good signature and that's your, your signature look with the blue, uh, CBC jacket. Yeah. Blue blazer, CBC blazer. Yeah, I signed those down in Florida. We used to go to Florida every year. We don't do it now uh, because of the recent events in the world. But uh, I joined a group of guys down there, a bunch of old timers playing up in Fort Myers. And Don Ory was one of them, Team Canada, Boston Bruins. And uh, we had a guy from Minnesota. Um, two or three former NHLers played with us and a bunch of Americans, Canadians, half and half, and some Europeans thrown in. And even some of the daughters of the guys, girl, a girl in her thirties came out with us once. And, uh, uh, one of the big defensemen who played in Minnesota bowled her over on the ice. And I thought she was badly hurt, but she jumped right up. And I, I thought that was Gritty boy, did she ever show him up? Uh, so brings back good memories for sure. 
Go ahead, Kent. So not only did we, this book, by the way, whoop, there we go. Yeah. Hell of a Hockey Life there by Ryan McFarlane. Um, <laughs> um, not only did we learn about the Hardy Boys, but you also talk about a very familiar character, Peter Puck. Yes. So I want to ask you, um, your, your book details this quite well, and I want to ask you, what made you decide to buy the rights to Peter Puck? Well, that was when I was with NBC. By the way, they were the best people I ever worked with, the NBC crew. I thought they'd be coldly New Yorkish or whatever, but right. they were very warm and welcoming. And uh, we even got a hockey team together with the NBC jerseys. Ted Lindsay was my centerman. I'd play right wing, Tim Ryan and left wing. We didn't have many players, but they were waiting to play us. Every week we'd go to Philadelphia, Chicago, Detroit. There'd be a team of media guys all ready to play the NBC team. They wanted to get at Ted Lindsay, I guess. Uh, but those were fun games, and, and some friends of mine came along one week, and they said, we can't believe you play a, a full hour of hockey at, uh, at 11 o'clock. You're finished at 12, a quick shower, a bite to eat, a cup of coffee, and then you're doing the NHL game of the week, no coast to coast. And it's a, it's a wonder the brass at NBC allowed us to do that because we could have been cut and bleeding or whatever uh, right. when we went to air, but uh, those were really fun years. And that's when NBC was introduced on the NBC shows and later on Hockey Night in Canada. And I thought, well, let me do a book with, uh, with Peter Puck. And I went to Hanna-Barbera. They had an office in New York. And we did a 50-50 deal on a book. And that became three books. And then I negotiated the Canadian rights. Uh, and I bought those. And it got to be worldwide rights. And I purchased those. So... Uh, it's all sort of in limbo now. We don't know what the future holds for Peter, although I got a nice email from a guy today who's running a, 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 I guess you'd call it an advertising or marketing business, and he's quite interested in reviving Peter Puck. And my feeling is, what have I got to lose? If I'm included, fine. If they push me aside, that'll be okay, too. But I, I do have some books in my computer about Peter Puck and the one-handed hockey player and Peter Puck and this and that. And uh, there should be a penny puck for the women out there that love the game of hockey. And Peter should has never been seen overseas. He hasn't had much coverage in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, I think, sure, there'd be a place for Peter Puck in hockey. I'm surprised the NBC, the NHL didn't adopt him many years ago when NBC gave up the broadcasts. So speaking of that, Brian, um, are you up to reviving Peter Puck in any way? Am, am I up to? Reviving Peter Puck. Oh, uh, I told these fellows if they get going and they seem, they took us to lunch a month ago and uh, they, they wanted to drop some plans and get some sponsorship. And I encouraged them. I said, gee, just keep me in mind. If I can help you with anything, I can provide book material or some from my experience, what, hap what happened with Peter Puck in our museum. We had a little theater for Peter in our museum, and it was oh. just gangbusters. People, that's, that's the first thing they wanted to go and see. Um, yeah, and um, I still get the odd letter from people saying, I love Peter Puck, and there may be an idea come along to get him back in, in service again. 
Do you keep? Do you have much memorabilia left from Peter Puck days? Like, did you keep anything? No, I don't. Uh, I'm trying to dispose of whatever I've got. I've got a mountain <laughs> of. Well, you maybe can't see my office, but I'm painting pictures now, and uh, I must have a hundred pictures uh, I've painted, and I'm trying to sell them occasionally, and I don't try to sell them, but they seem to sell. And I have all these books in my computer, and I have photos around and I have other books. I have a great collection of hockey books that I have stored stored away in a country place. Um, and I have my country place and I have as many paintings out there as I have here. And uh, it, it never seems to stop. And I'm trying to clean up things, you know, thinking about who's going to do it when I'm gone. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so that's a part of my life I worry about and anguish over, but I can't seem to help myself. Uh, here I'm here. I spent most of the day on the computer dabbling in McLean's magazines, old issues, looking for old hockey stories and thinking we could do a series of hockey uh, magazine articles about the old days, just from yeah. these great writers that wrote for McLean's. And there shouldn't be a copyright problem because after 50 years, I understand it's uh, in the public domain. Yeah. Uh, so that helps a lot. Um, and then there's my dad's stuff. Maybe I should do a collection of his hockey stories from the 30s and the 20s when hockey was getting popular and now is very popular. And they might like reading about that. But uh, with you know the what, yeah, with the pandemic, uh, it's been hard to make contacts and have yeah, meetings. You know how the whole world has changed. For sure, for sure. But you know what I, lo I love hearing is that you still have the ambition. So that's actually very refreshing to see, that you still have the ambition. Well, a lot of my friends don't, are gone, and um, perhaps they should have had a little more energy to keep doing things they like doing. And if they didn't have something, they could sure find something they'd like doing. I encourage people to keep, my wife is busier than I am all day long. And she's <laughs> paperwork and kitchen work and all kinds of phone calls and a hundred emails a day. And um, we complain about it, but without <laughs> it, I don't know where we'd be. We wouldn't be here. So we have to keep moving. Yeah. Well, it's also your whole career after reading your book and you know listening to you talk like you've kept yourself busy since a very young person like you've always been busy so usually they say you know you want to get something done you give it to the busiest person but look at what you accomplished in your lifetime so far right like that's quite a an achievement i would have to say well i laugh about it because uh, the lacrosse thing didn't go anywhere <laughs> in 68 but today they have a pro lacrosse league yeah. And uh, they get big crowds for playoff games and things. And maybe I should have stuck with lacrosse. And uh, and yet I know I wouldn't have done that because it uh, it was a it was an adventure for a year and it cost us a few thousand dollars. Uh, but it seems um, it seems I, I would have missed something if I hadn't done that. Just getting to know John Ferguson as a coach and a manager and uh, and uh, dealing with players and. Um, Oh, there were so many stories. And uh, uh, just to be able to say I own the Montreal Canadiens <laughs> at one time, <laughs> they say, which Canadians? <laughs> well, the lacrosse Canadians. Oh, okay. 
So one uh, question I wanted to ask you, which I just came to my mind. So one of my favorite here, uh, authors or Canadian personalities growing up was Peter Zosky. So I'm sure you crossed paths with Peter many times in your travels. Uh, can you share yeah. some insight with him? Uh, I didn't have much um, uh, association with Peter, but I sure respected him. Yeah. And I do treasure an interview he did with my dad, oh, many, many years ago about the Hardy Boys. And um, I, I thought without Peter, I wouldn't have that in a collection and uh, my kids and grandkids wouldn't have been able to hear it. Um, so he was a great, I, I really admire a lot of people in Canada, um, um, some of the writers and the broadcasters yeah. and, and the entertainers. One of my favorites was Anne Murray. Yeah. She was quite a hockey fan. And I went to Atlantic City to do an interview with her. And she had her long white gown on going to, on to do her show before a full audience. And she got us, uh, she invited us back to her dressing room afterwards. And, and then she kicked off her heels and put her, her feet up on the coffee table and popped a beer like the guys do and drank from the bottle. And I said, she's my kind of woman, boy. Ann Murray drinking from a bottle of Molson's. And, uh, and she said, let's talk hockey. And uh, she told me how she tried to buy the Leafs for $64 million when that seemed like an astonishing amount of money. Yeah, and, and she couldn't even buy the dressing room for that today in a big league arena. But I, I was very impressed with her. That was interesting. And then you probably came across like, you know, there's Howie Meeker, Red Fisher. Like there's a lot of very yeah, famous writers you come across in your time as well. Yeah, I worked a lot with um, with Howie yeah. and with Grapes. I was on the coach's corner, I guess, before Dave Hodge for a few. I was hoping they'd keep me on it, but they had Ron McLean coming in and uh, he was <laughs> he was promised to, to replace Hodge. That's OK. You, you take the bumps. As, as well as uh, the good times that happened. And there were a lot more good times than bad. Although the Leafs should have won a, a Stanley Cup or two uh, after 67, you would think. But uh, the, um, the Ballard years put the crunch to that. I don't even want to talk about that. I'm a lifelong Leafs fan, and it bothers me to no end. Um, I mean, the John Cordick trade is probably like the worst going down in history uh, I've ever heard. Yes, was, and how was, many guys can tell you who got who they got uh, had to give up to get Cordick? Uh, you would Cordinal, know, wasn't it? Was yeah. Russ Cordinal, wasn't it? Russ Cordinal. Yeah, yeah, and you know, Tiger Williams gave me a, when Cordick joined the Leafs. His wife had a baby, I guess, and uh, Tiger's wife had a baby. Ben, he's a grown man now, and I saw Tiger outside the Leaf room, so I said, Tiger. Uh, how's the baby? He said, uh, oh, just great, Brian. He said, Ben, I know one thing. He can beat the shit out of Cordic's kid any day. <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget him saying that. <laughs> so, Tiger was good at those comments. Uh, yeah, he is. He's a bombastic character. Yeah, I'll tell um, you, a couple I, of uh, comments here. Sorry, I lost track here. Let's say uh, Rob Lee says, hi. Um Barry Ma says, Brian McFarlane, Howie Meeker, a Hall of Fame broadcasting tandem. Very true. Very true. Um, Dick Beddoes had an interesting voice as well. I'm not familiar who Dick Beddoes is. Oh, he was a great writer and a dapper guy. He dressed like Cherry, uh, but the oh. hat and everything. And he was a very uh, intelligent sports writer and broadcaster. 
and very caustic at times, but uh, I was asked to speak at his, um, his what do you call um, the, 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 oh, the ceremony they have when somebody passes, they have a ceremony a little later on. And uh, I was so proud that I was asked to speak at that because I really respected Dick. And, and those were great sports writers of the day. It's a different world today. They don't get much opportunity to show their writing skills and take a character and go visit him maybe for the whole day and get a wonderful story about his home life and what he's like as, a, as an ordinary person. Um, now, those days are gone, I guess, forever. They, they, but there are also new opportunities, too. Um going to bring up Rob Lee says I was I recall as a kid going down to the local bank of Nova Scotia to pick up the latest <laughs> hockey college literature so that's oh. true oh yeah I, I went down to the bank of Nova actually I was hired by Hockey Night in Canada to run a hockey program during the intermission for kids for Imperial Oil and I was there working a year trying to they were going to introduce it the following season and then they postponed it and finally they dropped the idea altogether so I took the idea down to Scotiabank, down the street, and I met a man there, and he said, well, I know your family from Halebury. I was your dad's bank manager. Come on in. What have you got? I said, I have an idea for a, 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 bank, a, a hockey college for kids. If they come into the bank, they can get a free magazine each month, and there'll be a chance to win a trip to a Stanley Cup game or yeah. some bikes or skates or whatever, blah, 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 blah. And I gave him a short presentation. He liked the idea. So they ended up hiring me, and I was there for the next 17 years. And that Scotiabank program, it produced a lot of income for the bank because kids would join up, and they loved getting a centerfold of Larry Robinson or Guy Lafleur in the magazine and a chance to win something. And so I bet they're still with Scotiabank as they become successful wage earners and businessmen and women. There were 40% girls joined up. Uh, an American network once called me for an interview, and I said, well, what do, you go, what do you want to know about it? Is Hockey Night in Canada, NBC, Peter Puck? Well, they said, the Scotiabank Hockey College, we want you to, I had, didn't even have it on my bio. And they were more interested in that than they were in anything else I've ever done. <laughs> That's awesome. But I, um, it, I did have Jean Belleville as um, one of um, our directors and uh, and Gordy Howe and Sittler and Meeker. But Belleville, uh, to me, is the best of the lot when it comes to hockey. He's the man I admire more than any other hockey player I've ever met. He was just a fantastic ambassador for the game and the Canadians and as a person. And I got to play against him when I was a 17 or 18-year-old junior uh, he was the best junior in Canada, and I had the measles in the middle of the playoffs. I got out of bed after being in bed all week, and the coach said, you watch Belleville. Well, I watched him all right. I couldn't catch up with him, so I watched him. <laughs> Belleville was, uh, was a gem. I met him once. Uh, he signed a book for me. Sweetest guy. Like uh, He had no business to talk to a little kid like me, but he made time. and He like, would. Yeah. He was a man of his word. He told me if I write to him, he would write me back a book signed, and he did. So I still isn't have that. Isn't that a great story? Yeah, he. Uh, yeah. I I gave him my ad. I was a kid. 
I didn't think he would do it, but he actually took my address down. And then a month later, I had a book signed by him sent to me in the mail. And you remember that all your life. As I oh, yeah, remember, you know, Stan Musial, the old ball yep. player, yep. St. Louis Blues, uh, St. Louis Cardinals. Um, I went to Cooperstown when I was fresh into television and I had my tape recorder and I had a cameraman with me. Uh, and I got an interview with Stan Musial and the cameraman said, Brian, Sorry to tell you, the film didn't thread properly. We didn't get it. Whoever that guy was, get him back here. I said, that's Stan Musial. I can't go back and ask him to do it twice, but I did. And he <laughs> came over and he did it twice. And the guy said, oh, the film still didn't go through. Don't let him get away. And I said, he's gone to center field to warm up for the Hall of Fame game. Well, go get him. And I said, oh, I can't do that. But I did do that. I went right to center field and I was Mr. Music. I'm so sorry, but I need your interview for my show tonight. And the film is ready now. And he came back and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, let's try to get it right now, kid. And I'll <laughs> never forget him as long as I live that he did that three times. Can you imagine a current player coming to do an interview three times? I can't. <laughs> but yeah, he that, did that's it. That's crazy. I mean, you've met like quite a few people over your life, like Gretzky, obviously, Hal, I mean, Meeker, but you met some of the legends back in the day, like Rocket Richard. Like, I got... played against Gretzky when he was 12 years old in an old timers game. And I went right over to the bench and I said to our coach, That's that Gretzky kid from the Quebec Pee Wee tournament. They say he's <laughs> going to be a huge star someday. And he said, Oh, never heard of him. <laughs> I said, Okay. Um, um, a couple more comments here. So, uh, Ink Paper Wax said you can send all your memorabilia to the East Coast. That's he's got a he's got a taker. Um, Jeff McMahon says fortunate to get Hockey Night Canada in Metro Detroit and grew up watching Mr. McFarland. So, thanks for the memories. So, he thanks you for the memories. Oh, isn't that nice? And then we have uh, Barry Moss. So he loved Hockey Night in Canada Showdown series in the second intermission. It was a predecessor to the NHL All Stars competition. Now they're bringing yeah. back the foam targets and an accuracy shooting contest. Yeah, um, Showdown yeah. was very big. I was so proud to be on Showdown with all these great stars showing their skills. And then, of course, the Leafs had to step in. Ballard said, oh, we don't want Salming on there. He might get hurt or Sittler. And and that kind of meant the end of Showdown, which was a, just a shame. Everybody loved that show. So here's uh, uh, our good friend, Bobby Burrell, who's on the show. He's showing us the Peter Puck and uh, some memorabilia here for you to, to admire. Yeah. Yeah. There's um, lots of Peter Puck stuff out there. You know, we, we never got much money from Peter because everybody stole the idea and produced T-shirts and pictures and, oh, I don't know, films. I, I guess everything was pirated off the network, off the Internet. Uh, and we had no way to protect ourselves. It would have cost us a fortune to bring legal uh, activity against these thieves. Uh, but I guess that's just part of the internet, and people do that. I'm having. I'm writing a book now called um, "The Maple Leaf Forever," oh. and it's it, it, the publisher wants the logos in there and the emblems. Well, we're getting a, quite a quite a reaction from the NHL saying, you've got to pay us an awful lot of money for those logos. Well, they're in use everywhere on the internet. I have two books right here that I wrote years ago and I've got the Leafs right on the cover 
And nobody ever said, we got to pay for that. They should be proud that we're doing a book about the Leafs and their logos, for God's sake. And now we have to battle them to get permission without paying the NHL. Why didn't the Leafs keep their own rights to the logos? They've, they've steered everything to the NHL. And they should have control over their own emblems, you would think. But that's just an old man's opinion, right? That's okay. I, <laughs> I, I appreciate it. So, Kent, I went off on a tangent there. I'll let you ask some questions. <laughs> um, sure. So there's there's a chapter in, in the book here uh, where you um, where your dad caught you skipping school for forging your mom's signature. Now, you did this all to play hockey. Did you ever in a million years realize that your career path would forge into writing and hockey together for as long as you uh, did? I don't think she ever she, – oh, she must have. She was a smart mother, and she probably just said, He's going to do it anyway. Uh, and the other kids skipped in the afternoon to go to the movies. So I would skip in the morning and go down to the arena and uh, there'd be a, a bunch of firemen playing and they'd need an extra body or something on wings. So I'd, that's how I learned to play hockey pretty well was skipping school and going to the arena and, and getting on the ice for as many minutes as I could to improve. And, uh, while I never got to be major league stature, it got me through college and it got me through junior A and it got me through 20 years playing alongside Mahovlich and Allman and, uh, yeah, wow. and Harry Watson and uh, playing. I'm on the ice at the gardens playing against Lindsay and Howe. I'm on the ice at the forum playing against the rocket and John Ferguson sidles up next to me. And as well as I knew him, I said, John, take it easy on an old man tonight. And he gave me a look that pierced right through me as if to say, stay out of my way and you'll be okay. <laughs> um, so those experiences, who could ever expect that to happen in a lifetime? But they did. <laughs> yeah, that's what about from other sports? Like you said, Stan Musial, but what other uh, athletes from other sports did you come across? Oh, well, I, I did Argo games on radio on CFRB for, for a couple of years with Wes McKnight. Um, uh, other sports, um, I, well, I, I played them all like everybody else, touch football, football in high school, um, baseball. Um, a guy ran into me at second base and broke up my knee one day for hockey, and I was never forgiven him because he – he didn't need to leap on me to gain the base. He could have gone around me. Uh, so that memory lingers. Uh, I was never fast. I was never tough. Um, and yet somehow with hockey, I was able to advance my skills to a level that was satisfactory, if not great. And uh, I played till I was 84 down in yeah, Florida that's... with these guys. And I enjoyed every minute of it. Um, there, there are certain lessons you learn. You just keep your mouth shut when you're in the dressing room with a bunch of former NHLers, uh, at least for the first year or two. And uh, I taught a guy that lesson in Florida because he came up to me the first day he arrived with to play with us. And he said, I used to hate you on TV. And I thought, well, that's not the way I hope my day would start off here today. So uh, we get on the ice and suddenly he's on my left wing and he threw a pass over to me that was 40 feet in front of me. And then another one went 20 feet behind me. So I called him over and I 
yeah, forgotten his name, but I said Dave, whatever his name was. Those were the two worst effing passes I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and that shut him up. Uh, he, Sorry, he, went home, he went home and told his wife he'd said that. And she said, you didn't say that to Mr. McFarland, did you? And gave him hell, apparently. But <laughs> so you know what? One, one His, question for you. Yeah. Um, you, you, when you were in your book, uh, you clearly have a, a, a good love for Ted Lindsay. Was he your favorite pal growing up? And like, uh, the, he, he was a wonderful pal for the NBC years and beyond. Uh, we stayed friends uh, long after those telecasts were over. He'd come to Florida and we'd go to lunch. We'd play golf together. His his wife was wonderful. And he had a great attitude about life and living. And he had the guts to stand up against the owners and start a union when it sure meant disaster for his career. He was shipped off to last place, Chicago. He was uh, reviled by the owners. He had to suffer a lot. And Ted Lindsay was able to start what has become the NHLPA. And uh, that was back in the 50s. And I so admired him for that. He was such a gutsy. And then, you know, we'd be walking down the street in a, in a pretty bad section of Philadelphia, and there were gangs gravitating to the corners. And I said, well, at least I got Ted Lindsay next to me, one of the toughest. And I looked over, and he looked about the size of Sandy Hawley. Uh, I thought, he's not a big guy. He's, he's not going to be able to take care of a gang if we get assaulted down here. So, but we made it back. The cops came along and said, how far are you guys going down here? Well, we got to go back to the hotel. Well, we'll trail along to make sure you get there safely. There's been a lot of a lot of activity down here tonight, whatever That's, that uh, means. He sounds like a, well, he had the nickname Terrible Ted Lindsay, right? Wasn't that the, the nickname? Yeah, Terrible Ted. Yeah. Um, we have one question here. I just want to make sure I'm asking this properly, Bobby. So Bobby says, uh, would the Leafs in 1975 stop allowing their logo to be used on collectibles? So he has found. It's a question for you. I'm sorry. I missed. Uh, could you just repeat it? Uh, my hearing problem. No worries. Um, the question for you is, would the Leafs in 1975 stop allowing their logo to be used on collectibles? That was his question. But he's pretty much gathered from his research, but he's asking you the question. Oh, I don't know the I I don't not sure I understood it and I, I, 1975 I, it doesn't nothing rings a bell about that so I'm sorry. No worries, no worries. We'll we'll say that for another one. Yeah. Um, sorry, Kent. I totally hogged the mic. I want to let you go. No, it's not quite all right. Um, so it's 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 I don't I don't think it's a big secret that you know I meet and yourself and and myself to a certain degree. We share our love for the Maple Leafs. So what are your thoughts, Brian, on today's Leafs? Do you see any synergies from the glory days to today? Um, I, 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 I didn't quite understand. I, I don't know whether it's oh, no worries. I'll repeat it again. in my computer. Or... Brian, I'll repeat it again. So um, what are your thoughts on today's Leafs, the Maple Leafs of today? Do you see any synergies from today's Leafs compared to the glory days of the oh, Leafs? Oh, yeah. Let me comment on that. I've been watching hockey lately and football, NFL. And I said to my wife, I can't watch this. Those guys aren't even trying tonight. <laughs> they, they're going in slow motion. The, those NFL players, they, they give up on chasing a guy down the field. They just let him run in for a touchdown. 
Uh, they get all mixed up in malign play. These are professional guys making millions a year. And some of the hockey guys aren't far behind them. Uh, I, I at one time said, well, all the players today are bigger and faster and stronger and they shoot harder. And then I look at some of them in some games, not all, and they, they just appeared to be going through the motions. Some of them can't score a goal to save their life. They're, they've been around for 15 years and all their goals, I guess, have been scored. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, if they have one or two left, let's hope the Leafs get a couple of them. But um, and and they're nice people. They they want to stay in the game as long as they can. I don't blame them for that. And they look almost as good as anybody else out there, but not quite. And then there are these young guys scooting around for other teams. I, I don't know their names. I don't know whether they're Russian or Canadian or American. It, it doesn't seem to matter anymore. Um, but you see the talent in these guys and the stick handling skills, and you say, well, there's a guy, I must learn his name because it looks like he's going to be around for a while. <laughs> so I'm, I'm totally confused about the big, big league sports today, and I don't mind confessing it. Are you still uh, are you still passionate about the Leafs, or are you kind of thinking, you know what, do they have the, the right the, the team, or what do you think? Well, I'm not as passionate about anything anymore as I used to be, <laughs> uh, especially certain subjects. But um, I, I am a Leaf fan inside. But when I got into broadcasting, I was I wasn't told. I just knew instinctively you can't be a homer. You've got to give uh, the other fella. Sure. Uh, a bouquet if he does well. And I tried to do that along the way. But of course, if the Leafs won the game, it was always, there was never a grumble. Everybody went home happy. So uh, a winning Leaf team made it easier on the broadcasters and everybody, the sponsors, everybody. And I would like them to come back and win a cup, but the odds keep getting longer. They let more teams in at multi millions of dollars. And those teams become good very quickly. So the Leafs could go another 100 years without winning a Stanley Cup. But hopefully, hopefully in my lifetime, I will see them get to the finals at least. And uh, that would be a revelation. And yet I don't think they've got enough in the, in the, the lower ranks of the team this year to make it. Mikhaev, whatever you pronounce it. Uh, has shown some good scoring bursts, but a lot of them don't seem able to find enough goals to supplement the four stars they've got. And that's my comment. <laughs> no worries. Um, we totally realize we're almost at an hour. Do you want to keep you too long, Brian? So we'll wrap it up fairly shortly. Um, I don't mind. You just, uh, yeah? this, is, okay. this is, this is very flattering to be invited to be on your show. And I, I, uh, I'll, I'll revel in it. Okay. <laughs> no worries. So Kent, go ahead, buddy. Um, yeah. Um, so you mentioned earlier that you're an accomplished painter. So what, what, I, what, uh, uh, what, uh, things do you like to paint and how do you go about picking it? Well, I like pond hockey art. The kids don't play pond. Hockey. Well, they do play and there are tournaments and everything around the world for pond hockey. A lot of people don't realize that, but they're mainly for adults. And as kids, we used to go on the pond, the corner lot would freeze yep. over and we'd I know, play I know there. Because like, I did that all the time when I was a kid. Yeah. 
So I, I like painting that, and I like uh, Canadian scenes. I painted as a kid, and, and I took lessons from a, an Ottawa artist, 50 cents, Henri Masson. And the football coach said, McFarlane, where were you yesterday? Sir, I was art lessons. I have to go every Wednesday, 50 cents. He said, well, we don't want any football. We don't want any artists on our football team. And I gave it up for him and football. And I never got much out of football. Um, and I still resent him for kind of maneuvering or manipulating me to play football, give up art. Right. I've had so much more joy from art than I ever got from football. And uh, so I learned a lesson from that. And I encourage kids. I have a great grandson who shows a lot of talent with his little drawings and everything. And am I going to encourage him to pursue that for, for as long as he likes or want, gets some pleasure from it? Because I can see something there, a little spark of talent. And... Uh, I would never say to him, well, why would you want to paint pictures when you can get out and play baseball or hockey? <laughs> so we'll see what happens there. Go ahead, Ken. Uh, let's see here. Um, so in your book, you write a lot about some of the legends of hockey. For those of us who, who collect vintage hockey cards, you know, it's fascinating that you had personal relationships with Gordie Howe, Johnny Bauer, George Armstrong, just to name a few. Do you ever look back at your contact list and just smile and think, wow, I've had a blessed career about all those people that I've met? Oh, yes, I do. And some wonderful people. And I just wish I could contact them. Some of them are gone now. Um, and I, I did that today with one man I know whose time on earth is short. And I told him exactly what I felt about him. It wasn't all positive. But it, it indicated to him that I had a lot more respect for him over the years than I showed him or told him. And uh, it's late to do that, but I try to do that with other people as well. Because there are so many people who leave, leave a mark or something with you that you appreciate just in the way they treat you and encourage you and... Uh, uh, I, I just wish I could reach out and tell all these people that I've, I'd like to be able to give this message to the, how much I loved them or respected them. And um, I'll, I'll never be able to do with a lot of people, but I try. That's a, it's a good way to live life. I think there's a lot of important lessons in there. Um, the one thing I wanted to ask is, what was the spark that got you back into painting? Like, what was it? What was it that I'm going to pick up a paintbrush and do it this day? Uh, would you repeat it, please? What made you pick up a paintbrush after all this time? And start oh, doing it? oh, well, um, I guess I was down in Florida uh, 20 years ago, and uh, a friend of mine was painting. And I said, well, I used to paint, so... And there's a painting class up in the town north of us. Um, and they have classes. Why don't we go up there? And we started going every Wednesday to an art class. And it, it wasn't very satisfying. But And he was a skilled paper, but he tore up everything he painted. I said, oh, Brian, why are you doing that? So um, somehow um, I got the passion back for painting. And... Uh, 
there's another former surgeon that I paint with down in Florida. He's very, very good. He sells his paintings for $10,000. Uh, no problem. Big canvases, water scenes and everything. And there's another fellow that lived right next door to me at our country place. His name is Peter, is Peter Doig. He's living in Trinidad now, and he's a hockey fan. And he invited us to play hockey with him on the local rink one Christmas. And I said, Peter, you're a really good hockey player. You're over in England playing. He's going to school over there. I didn't realize he's going to art college. Peter sells his paintings for $26 million. 33 million, 16 wow. million. Wow. <laughs> and you may have heard of Peter Doig, but he was my next door neighbor in the country. And he said, P.K. Subban came up to him in the Montreal dressing room when he was visiting Montreal and got a chance to tour the dressing room. P.K. said, Peter, I always wanted to be an artist, but I couldn't afford to give up hockey. They pay me so much money to play this game. <laughs> <laughs> But Peter's making twice as much or three times as much money as P.K. Subban. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Um, let me just go back to the questions over here. So I think you kind of uh, – can't it's okay if I grab the last one? Go for it. Yes, yeah. of course. Um, the one thing you, – you've been very inspirational, first of all, um, uh, Brian. So I'm first of all, I'm tickled pink that I got a chance to talk to you. We got a chance to talk to you. But – You've kind of seeded little bits of, you know, metaphors about life, inspiration. I'm going to ask you this one question. It's a question we ask all our guests before we end the show. And we want to ask you, what inspires you? Oh, I guess, I guess a lot of things inspire me. Just reading the McLean's articles, I think this is a gold mine. Uh, this should be revived. People should be reading about the, the natives and the battles they had getting to the Yukon and and how the RCMP was instrumental in keeping law and order in this country. This is a great country we've got. America's, I can't believe what's going on south of the border. It's just, it's just awful. That's yeah. the word that comes to mind. Uh, but I'm inspired by people that do good deeds and do wonderful things with their lives. And uh, I, I, I wish I could be like a lot of them, but I'll never be. Um, so I, I guess um, family members inspire me. My sister's an award-winning author, and I love what she writes. Um, I, I really can't explain it very well, except in those short words. Um, but there's a lot of things that can inspire you along the way. Anybody, yes. So I, I'd have to, I'm going to help you there. I'm going to say, keep doing what you love. Do what you love a lot. Don't let anyone knock you down and keep going, keep on going on, right? Keep doing what you want to do. So you, you, you've you shown that in all of your careers, your different endeavors. So, um, I think a lot of people can learn from that. And you are a part of Canadiana. So we're, mm -hmm. we're glad to have gotten the chance to talk to you. Um, I want to thank you so much for your, your time. Um, and what we'll do is we'll end the broadcast really shortly. Uh, and uh, we'll uh, hang out there. Hang out there, Brian. We'll, we're going to talk after. But let me just hang up the broadcast for you, okay? Okay. Well, thank you for thinking of me. I feel sometimes like the forgotten man in broadcasting or sports. 
but it, I accept it. You get to be my age, and why would anybody remember? But thank you for remembering and making the call or the email that pulled this together. Not a problem at all. Our pleasure. And I'm going to leave one comment up on here to make you make your day, or a couple maybe. So I'm going to couple, say... Couple. Uh, Peter is one of the most renowned living figurative painters. In, oh, that's the wrong one. Oops, sorry. This is the one I wanted to bring up. Uh, thank you for being such a wonderful ambassador to the game that we all love. That's the, the comment I want to leave you with. <laughs> thank thank you. you. Thank you very much. And uh, I want to thank all of you that came to, to Kim Watch. Uh, this is definitely a bucket list moment. Uh, I apologize, Kent. I know I talked a lot, but i was been waiting all day for this. So, um, everyone, uh, we'll see you tomorrow for our uh, next show. Uh, Bobby says, uh, oh, yeah. Bobby says, whoa, why is it going away? There you go. We love you, Brian. That's what I wanted to tell you. Thank you so much. No worries. So hang out there, Brian. We're going to end the show, and uh, we'll see you all tomorrow. Oh, yep. See you all tomorrow night. Bye, Cheers. folks.